We are back and we are ready to go to Romans chapter four and five. We're reading through the Bible, the New Testament rather, in the order in which the books were written. We've already seen in the book of Romans that Paul, after his experience with Corinth, and now that he is under house arrest, he has a time to really lay out and roll out the theology of this new church. And he is the great theologian, the one who, who puts into words what he sees God doing through Christ on earth and now through us on earth. And yet we have to deal with some facts and some facts, facts are that we are sinners and we have done very, very poorly. We did poorly when we had the scripture and some of us did poorly before we had it. And the Jews had to learn that they did poorly with the law while some Gentiles did really good and they didn't even get the law. And Paul's point here is not to be anti-Jew, Paul is a Jew. His point is to say humility is called for and also reality that we are sinners and that Christ saving us does not make us better people than our neighbors. Instead, it should drive us to our neighbors to say, he saved me and he will save you too. If he'll save me, he'll save anybody is pretty much what Paul says, but he's really got to bring us down before he can lift us up. He's done a good job of that in the first few chapters. Then in chapter four, he talks about what faith does and what law does, <clears throat> excuse me. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now, when, we've had a lot of sermons over this, have we not? but let's just make sure we understand it. Had Abraham been able by works to show himself a righteous man, he would have been able to really brag about that, but not before God, because no matter how righteous we are, we'll never be as righteous as God, fair enough. But Abraham didn't live a perfect life. His treatment of Hagar on more than one occasion his, um, his lack of faith in trading away his wife on more than one occasion, his not quite being ready to go when God told him to go, all of these things are expressly human. And while they are horrific to us and when it comes to Hagar and Sarah, uh, we understand that in the culture in which he was, these things did happen, but they were never okay. They were always awful. So Abraham really can't look at you in the eye and say, well, you know, I pulled it off, did a great job. But he believed God. And so God credited to him as righteous. That's what Paul's offering, not Paul, is it? That's what Paul says Jesus is offering to us. Believe him. You're not going to be perfect. But believe him. And then let your life show that you believe him. So it's not just works, but it's not no works either. It's about your belief driving your steps forward. He talks about in verse four, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as, as an obligation. In other words, if, if we were able to be righteous, God would be obligated to save us because that would be the wages. However, 
to the man who does not work but trust God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. Now this, this could get you in the weeds pretty fast if you don't pay attention to the rest of the book. If you believe Christ and yet you're never able to completely escape your wickedness, are you saved? Paul says you are. Well, I've heard an awful lot of preachers say that you're not. But Paul says you are. In fact, he quotes David out of, the Psalm, out of Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Not who never sinned and didn't transgress. transgress. Ah. There's something called a silent migraine, and when it hits me, uh, there can be some little speech issues. So I'm hoping it'll be all right for you. Pre-recording this, I, and the whole idea is that you'll have it if I really have a bad day. Blessed are those who never transgress. No. Blessed are those whose transgressions are covered and whose sin the Lord will never count against him. I don't know if the comic strip is still out there or not, but many years ago, I came across a comic strip called Mama. And the Mama character was comically short and you know, white curly hair. And it was, it was more of the Jewish mother caricature. I don't know if the man who, who did the strip was Jewish or if that was what his intention was. Uh, however, it was, it was just, it was funny. It was clever. It was never rude. And again, I haven't seen it since I was a boy. But there's one time she talks about her dear departed husband, how they never had a crossword. She never brought up his faults against him. And then she opens a closet that is stacked with paper. She says, however, I did write a few things down. And I love that. I just love that because that's so human. Humans only bury the hatchet if they have a map to where they buried it and the location is well marked should they need it again. But God doesn't do that. That's really why I think it's so hard for us to accept forgiveness. So let me help you with this, all right? Are you ready? If you right now are struggling with how God could forgive a person like you, I have a question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you could sin so badly and in such a new and creative and unique way that God's in heaven going, oh man, Jesus, I don't, I don't think your, I don't think your crucifixion and resurrection can cover that. That individual has now trumped us. All of our good, all the plans of the ages, all of the plans of the counsel of God have come to naught because Look at that guy, woman, person. You see what I mean? Saying you're not sure that God can forgive you is a form of pride, not humility. You need to get a bigger God. I remember once a story told by a friend of mine who had gone to India and they had to cross this wide stream that was very swift but not deep, really, not deep at all, six, eight inches. But the speed of the water, plus the fact that the bottom 
was made up of, um, of rocks, some of which were flat, and therefore you, you're just not going to get good purchase, was a concern. But as he was crossing, he felt his feet go out from under him, and he realized, I'm going in. But he noticed that there was a rock, a round rock near him. And so as he fell, he arranged himself to swing around and sit on the rock. Well, at that moment, here came some people out of the huts on the other side of the village uh, in robes of their priesthood with brooms screaming and yelling and they charged into the river and started beating them. He was sitting on their God. My general rule of thumb is that if your God can be sat on, get a better one. And if your God is not big enough to forgive whatever sins you came up with, you're gonna to need to find a bigger God. Good news is, we have one. That's the point here. And Paul's gonna go even further. I'm gonna reach up here and I'm going to uh, shake this a little bit, shall I? There we go. Needed to make sure we were silenced. Um, he's gonna make sure they get this. So verse nine and forward. So is all of this love and grace only for the Jews? Only for Abraham's children, the circumcised? And it goes through, you know, he, yes, that's where it started. But he is the father of all who believe. This is verse 11. He is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. I'm going to go right on the record here and say that I think Paul could have phrased things in a way that made it much easier for 21st century minds to understand it. But he wasn't talking to us, he was talking to them. So some of the language can seem awkward. It's, it's almost like reading, let's say, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Brilliant book, super important book. But it is so English, so that you know, middle-class, lower, upper-class English to the 1940s that it can be hard going for Americans. I think it can be hard going here. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you know that God saved Abraham despite all of his faults. Well, he's also gonna save the Gentiles, even though they weren't circumcised. Now, we don't really get that, but that's just because this was shorthand to them. There were the righteous and the uncircumcised. You know, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he's just using words in that way. Hope you took a moment to have a refreshing beverage. Verse 13, he says, It wasn't through the law that was given through Abraham and Moses that the promise came through the world. It came from God's will. God doesn't have to save us, but it's his will to save us. And I mean, that's tremendous news. So what he's trying to do as he talks about everybody as a sinner is also to deflate the egos of, think, of those who think that their sins are relatively minor compared to the sins of those people over there because we belong to a particular group. Now, in this, this place, it was the Jews, but with us, it might be because I, I belong to the Christian church, or I belong to the Episcopalians, or I belong to the Democratic Party, or I belong to the Republicans, or I you see what I mean? So what our people do and what we do 
while they, there may be errors, are understandable, and God has forgiven them, but with the people in that other group, whatever the other group is, their errors are not errors. They are sins of rebellion, black-hearted, mean individuals. And God, God won't do anything to do with them. That's the way we think. And the reason we think that way is because we keep eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we make ourselves gods and judge what is right and wrong on our own. And Paul here is saying, stop it. God's will will win the day. So, verse 16, the promise comes by faith so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, the Jews, the circumcised, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. In other words, Christians also are people of Abraham. Now, this is not disputed among most religious people among the Jews or among the um, the Muslims and historians will lump us all in together as the Abrahamic faiths because Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith. This is historically speaking, please. The Christian faith and the Muslim faith, they all claim him as father. Paul says, yeah, but that father was not perfect and that father was saved by faith through grace. He is, Abraham, is our father, um, father of many nations, our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the death, uh, dead and calls things that are not as though they were. What does that mean? God calls Patrick a righteous man and Patrick isn't. Patrick has bad thoughts. Patrick sometimes says things that kind of a jerk. And Patrick sometimes is self-centered. Patrick sometimes is greedy. Shall I go on? I can, but God looks at me and speaks of me as if I were righteous, even when I'm not, because I'm his. And he decided that's what he's doing. You're his too. Now the whole thing there is not so that Patrick can then say, well, you know, he loves me, so pff, I'll leave my wife, I'll go over there and shoot my neighbor, you know, I'll poison a dog. No. It is so that Patrick will say, he loves me so much, I wanna love him back. One of the greatest reasons that Cammie and I are still married and I still call her my pretty girl and my angel. And while I still you know, fawn over her. And when we look at each other, people say, our eyes still sparkle after 42 years of marriage uh, and 43 and a half years of knowing each other. There's a really, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them though, is because she knows me and she loves me. She knows the non-public version of me. She knows the difficult version of me and loves me. If God loves you, there should be a response. And I cannot help but love her in response. That's what God's trying to do is draw us with love, not with force, but with love. And so 
God had the power to do what he promised in verse 21. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. So if you are still wondering if God can forgive you, you need to ask yourself, who do you think you are? And isn't God more powerful than you are? If he is, then your sins are forgiven. And there's no reason to send the Visa card people another check if the balance is zero. You do not need to be wearing sackcloth and ashes or using your past failures as an excuse to not do good today because the balance is zero. That's been taken care of. What are you gonna do today? The blood of Christ doesn't cleanse us from sin sometimes. The blood of Christ continually cleanses us of all sin. And that's good news. So, Jesus had to pay for this. And Jesus paid for this in the last few verses there. He was delivered over to death for our sins. Therefore, chapter 5. Yay, good, good stuff in chapter 5. Paul's going to do that a few times in this book, by the way. Fewer and fewer as he goes ahead from this point. Chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Please pay attention to those passages. We have peace with God. This isn't the first time we've heard this. The night of Jesus' birth. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth with men in whom he's well pleased. And by the way, we sometimes try to translate that as if peace to the good guys. No, we say, no, no, I get it. It's hard down there. I'm declaring peace. I could declare war. But I declare peace. Then what does it say? We have that peace. We have been justified. We have gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand and we rejoice already in the hope of the glory of God. You are far better off spiritually than you ever imagined. Far, far better off. So you are now free free to drop the chains that the world and religion has thrown on you. Religions that meet in churches and say you must come to a certain standard or you, do, you are not justified and you have no grace and your faith is wrong and you have no hope. You have to come up to that church's standards or to this political party's standards or you must parrot the words of the latest attack email you've gotten uh, that says, no, 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 I don't like the way you phrase that. I, I think you need to phrase it this way. No, I don't. I'm already justified. I'm already covered with grace. I'm already standing in hope and grace. I've already got it. So you do too. And please understand, it's not, if you're out there going, but I'm not like you, Patrick. Well, thank God that you're not because you're probably better than me. But it doesn't matter. We're all saved whether we work the 12 hours of the lunge. Remember that parable? God wants you 
loves you and has declared peace. So why don't you lay, take off the chains and lay down the club that you've been beating yourself with, or if you're a Pharisee, that you've been beating other people with. Drop it and just smile, cry with joy if you wish, and run to God. You'll find that when you, as soon as you do, that he's been running to you. So, he says, you're still gonna suffer? Yes, you're in this world. Verses uh, three and forward, you have uh, sufferings that produces perseverance, perse uh, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts. God has poured out his love. It's past tense. It's not something you'll get if you come to a certain standard. He has poured out his love. He has given you hope that will not disappoint you. I remember sitting around, and this has happened, I don't know how many times in my life, not dozens, but enough to really annoy me. And I'll be sitting around talking to people about our hope in heaven and somebody will, and it'll be always a righteous, wonderful person, perhaps the best person at the table. And maybe they're getting on in years and they'll say something like, well, I sure hope I'm saved. And they think that is a statement of humility and it isn't. It's a statement of insult. Do you trust God or not? I'm saved, I'm way saved, I'm totally saved. I'm, I'm more saved than I need to be saved because Jesus traded himself for me and that means God overpaid. Did it for you too. So we're all saved, let's get over it and go do good. Go tell people about Jesus by the way we treat them and love them and if they ask us why, then we'll tell them the name Jesus and say, we wanna join us? Let's, let's do this good stuff together. We were powerless, verse six, at just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, Paul says, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's a that, deep breath, deep breath. You got that yet? Because what's coming next is where a lot of Christians go wrong. Since we now have been justified, there's a past tense, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Did you get that? Let me, let me just posit a scenario. And let's say that you've had two failed marriages. Uh, you might be married now, you might not, but you've had two failed. And they were your fault, or at least a lot your fault. Let's say that you've uh, fought an opioid, uh, opioid uh, addiction or uh, an alcohol addiction, um, you know, pornography, what, whatever it was, right? Let's say that you've, you've done some time in jail or prison, maybe both, petty crime, felony, whatever it is. 
And then you hear the story of Jesus. It convicts you. You believe. You repent of your sins. You are baptized into Christ. Are you forgiven? I think every church says, yes, yes, you are. Paul says, yes, you are. Here's where the problem happens. Now you're a saved person. You go sit in a pew for Sunday morning, and after a little while, you go, okay, it's all right. They got Bible classes, but you're going, you know, I think I'm gonna go get some coffee. And you go get the coffee instead, and they come to you and go, well, no, 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 no. It's wrong to forsake the assembling. You need to be back here and study the Word of God. By the way, I'm, I'm very pro-studying the Word of God, and I don't drink coffee. So, you know, I'm not trying to justify myself. This is just a generic scenario, okay? Or, or, you have to work on Sundays. You can't go, and people are going, eh. Or, you, uh... Your kids are hungry, Christmas is coming, and you, uh, you don't pay your taxes, and you're not quite honest about your labor. That's a sin, you made, you made some, I'm, I'm not saying you stole somebody's Christmas presents, even if you did and repented, we all, I think we all agree that you'd be saved, but we're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about making errors, making mistakes, not intentional rebellion, but you didn't know, you didn't know this, or you didn't know we were supposed to do that, or they're putting burdens on you saying you're supposed to do it, and it's not even what God says, but they put the guilt on you, right? And you're walking around going, I'm just not a very good Christian. Paul's saying, what, what are you talking about? If God saved you back then, you're baptized, how much more is he saving you now? You've drawn near to him, you're no longer an enemy, you live in his house. You're one of his sons and daughters. I, I have the great and tremendous privilege of living near three of my grandsons and they're all into sports. And so we always have something to do, to go watch the sports. Now, I didn't grow up with any form of sports ball. Uh, and so uh, my father didn't approve of us wasting our time doing non-church stuff. So I, I don't know much about sports, Paul. Uh, but I do know that every game I watch, my grandsons, I mean, I know, what, what are the odds? They're the best players. You getting what I'm saying? Why? Why do I think that? And I'd love just to keep this thing going because, well, they are. But not always. But they're mine. And so when I look at them, I see they're good. When I see others, I don't see that good. I might see their, see their mistakes. When I see my grandsons make a mistake, it's all understandable. Oh, no, that's all right. You did a good try. Hey, you took the shot. Which, by the way, always take the shot. This is what Paul's trying to do. Guys, women, men, children, if God will save you when you're horrible, and he will, ask Paul. Paul, who helped supervise turning people out of their homes, imprisoning them, stoning them to death for believing in Jesus. If he'll forgive Paul then, he's forgiving Paul now, even faster.
It's a human term, doesn't apply to God, but more immediate, faster access to God. In fact, now he says some things that we need to bring up because he's going to, well, verse 12, he goes, you know, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And Timothy, by the way, he's going to say, Eve sinned first. Now, which one's right? Well, it's according to what, what you're trying to argue. Paul was not opposed to bending the argument and choosing his scripture. And I think that's just part of humanity. As long as we recognize it, we don't decide that all men are evil because sin came through Adam or that all women are subject to men forever because Eve sinned first. Now, no. Look at the bigger argument being made. He goes, sin entered through Adam and forgiveness and grace came through one as well, Christ. Just, we can all understand the history of the first. He says, now accept the reality of the second. The gift came through Christ. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more, again, guys, you're, you're, we're closer in now. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, more saved than you need to be. It's a river. It's a flood. It's not a tsunami because those are destructive. Whatever, it, it's a high tide of God's grace. Again, the gift is not the result of one man's sin. In other words, God didn't decide to gift us with all of this grace because he saw what Adam did to us. No, no. The gift didn't come for that. It came because all of us have trespassed and we needed grace. I've talked to people before who have just royally messed up their lives. And every time they could have made a decision, made the wrong one, and the realization has hit them. And we can sit and talk about those decisions, but the first thing that person needs is grace. The first per thing that person needs is a hug and saying, listen, take another breath. We're gonna start from that breath. We're gonna move on and take the next breath now. And this is our new story. We're just going breath to breath from this moment on, grace. And the whole point of grace, by the way, is that you don't deserve it. It's a whole point. So if you're thinking about you know, that we need grace and you are correct, but you're not thinking God will give grace to those kind of people over there, you have some issues. God is gonna save my enemies. I don't think I have any. I, I know that there are people who call me their enemy, but I don't call them mine. But that might just be a little core of self-righteousness in me. So I'm just gonna say, if I have enemies, God's gonna save them too. He wants to. I can't stop him. I can't leap in a way and go, now God, there are some things that you might want to consider before you start slinging all that grace over this way. No, he's smarter than us. There is a God, you're not him. Two important facts of the universe. So, consequently, verse 18, 
Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for, look at the words, all men. When we're doing our series on hell, it really upset some people in the Monday morning messages. There are six of them. Um, let me check to see when this is gonna air. They ended on November 8th. So you can go back and look at those. Some people are really married to hell and to the punishment of others. And as, as, a, as a driver toward God, hell has worked. Uh, I certainly didn't want to go to hell and that was a big part of my deciding to be baptized. Uh, years and years ago. But whenever we start talking about all the scriptures that talk about the triumph of mercy and that all or almost all of us are going to be saved, <clears throat> people just, well, and I think what they do is they resent. They resent that they had to stay married. They had to stay faithful. They had to stay going to church. They had to give money to charities and churches. And they had to go sort clothes, clothes at the at, at Graceworks, or they had to go offload food at one generation away. And these people over here are just wasting their life watching sports ball and uh, drinking a beer every now and then. And you're saying that they they can be saved too? All men. How many people were affected by the sin of Adam? How many people are affected by the gift of God? Hmm. Oh, he's not done. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So he went from all to many. So we'll just say God's going to save many and perhaps all, but certainly more than we would, we would save if we were God. And I'd I'd suggest that's really good news. So the law was added so that the trespass may increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's a weird way of phrasing it. We didn't start sinning more because God gave us a law. By giving us the law, we began to see how many trespasses we had. But that's not the point of it either. The point of it is to see how many trespasses we have and they then see the great overwhelming grace of God that saves us. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace must reign through righteousness and bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace must reign. Now that's some good news. Take that with you this week. God bless you.